The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. Welcome once again to It Came From The Radio, the official of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking with me via virtual distancing, which is the way things are going. Um, is none other than our senior correspondent, Charlie Saladino. How's everybody doing out there? And from The Life With Jennergy, uh, our co-host, Jen Elise Feldy. I'd ask how are you, but you can only ask that in, in person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on on uh, this week's show, we're going to have our Ponto Comics Dominic Definish Mansprano with his comic pick of the week. We have a Jaybird and Lee segment, and uh, I have an interview with uh, filmmaker Aaron Shunky. Uh, so that's all on this week's show. But before we do any of that, we have to take it away with the news. It's more time! The news is brought to you in part by the fine folks of the Big Apple Con, of which we are the official radio show of celebrating with 26 years, because now we're 2021, 26 years of comic bookness and pop culture stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. Their next convention uh, is scheduled for the 1st and 2nd of May. Also want to give out shout-outs for our Patreons, of which there are Kenny Grillo, award-winning director Jared Burrell, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous Dresden Media, Unji Kun, Shadow Rabbit Art, The Huracan, and Yasmin and Ray. If you want to get your own little shout out, go to www.patreon.com slash it came from the radio, and just for a dollar, uh, you can get your own little shout out on our show. Also, on our website, it came from radio.com, there's a little button there. You can buy us a pizza, it would be greatly appreciated. So let's take it with the news. Uh, let's see. Wait a minute. Before you do that, Mark. Yes. When, when did you say that convention was? Um, it's scheduled for May 1st and May 2nd. And, and why is it in May? <laughs> because it may happen and it may not. Yay! I've been listening to the show. I, I remember. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, start with sad news. Um, actress and singer... Mira Fulon, Furlon, sorry, has uh, died recently from complications of the West Nile virus. You remember when somebody else died what? of the West Nile virus a couple oh of years ago. Oh my god, the West Nile virus. Yeah, this is the second one. I remember we talked about somebody else dying from the West yeah. Nile virus. I was like, West Nile virus? So this is the second person. So I don't know. I didn't put see a, that coming. Better pin that on, on, the, on the board. I like, want to know how she got it. I don't know. Like, how did um, that happen? So I, that's just mind-boggling. Um, maybe she went to West Nile. Is that a place? <laughs> yeah, West Nile. Yeah, that's a place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... <laughs> yes, Charlie. <laughs> uh, never mind. Okay. Well, I was acting... just going to say it's it's just west of the river. <laughs> <laughs> While acting in numerous films and TV shows. Mira was perhaps best known for her roles as the Len in the sci-fi series Babylon 5 and as Danielle Rousseau in the AB series Lost. Of note, Mira portrayed the voice of Silver Sable in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. 
Um, you guys fans of Lost and or Babylon 5? No, Sorry, never no. watched the series. No. Neither one, really? Wow. No. Um, I wasn't a fan of Babylon 5, but I was a fan of Lost. And uh, she was she played the crazy old lady in it. Uh, she did very well. It was, a, it was a pretty darn good series. So it's it's it's, uh, it's that. And she's a big a uh, big person on the convention scene. So if you know if you're a Babylon Five, go to conventions a lot. She is usually mm. there. Uh, she was a a, a, a young sixty five. Wow, she is very young. Yeah, that's very West young. Nile. Okay. Yeah, West Nile virus. So like I said, that's two in recent memory. So that's at least a six month uh, time period, maybe even less. But I remember somebody else had died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on for the final bit of sad news. Um, legendary radio and TV host Lawrence Harvey Zigger, better known as Larry King, also died recently. Uh, what's interesting is that there are a few conflicting reports as to what exactly is the cause of death. But he had been hospitalized for a month prior with the coronavirus. Uh, during his career, Larry King hosted over 50,000 interviews starting out in the 50s on the radio. In 1978, Larry started the Larry King Show and, in some way or another, was still interviewing people up to just a few months ago. Of note, Larry won the Peabody Award for Excellence in Broadcasting for both radio and television, was inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame, as well as the Broadcasters Hall of Fame, just to name a few, um, and was quoted as saying in an early, 2000, early 2020 interview, so this was uh, last year, he said, <clears throat> I have less of a fear of dying now. I'm 86. And it is what it is. I just want to keep working until the end. I'd like to die at work. I'll retire right there. Uh, he was a, a spry 87. Uh, everybody knows who Larry King is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, oh, yeah. he reminds me of my grandpa, actually. My grandpa really? was a genius. Yeah, just the way he talked. I thought he was very deep, and I thought he said profound things. My grandpa didn't have nine wives, or how many wives did he have? Uh, Larry, yeah, I think wives, he had at least eight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah he was a busy guy and he, he got what he wanted, which is pretty cool. He said he wanted to work until the day he died. It looks like he kind of did. Yeah. Charlie, did you ever get a chance to meet Larry? Because I know you worked at ABC. Um, no, he, he was a great, uh, a great host. But um, I had I think he was uh, one of his uh, jobs. I think he was out of his element. He had a. He had to interview um, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr when that new show in Vegas came out, Love. Okay. They love, and I, I, I was listening to his questions, and I was like, he has no idea. But that was just then. I mean, the man was brilliant. His, uh, his, his interviews were great, and uh, he's going to be missed in the in the world. I always find that he had um, a unique style of interviewing and he interviewed about everybody. And yeah. I felt that sometimes he asked questions that nobody else did. And I like that about him. So while, right. while sometimes he wasn't on point of to who the person was in front of him, he didn't treat them like they were, you know, anybody beyond just somebody who he was talking to. So I kind of like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right with that. And he did take garlic. Oh, yeah, did he? he- yeah. He did? He did take garlic. How do you I know remember, that? He said I that? remember he endorsed that. Mm. One of his many, many uh, things that he endorsed. Huh. I love, I, I love garlic. Everyone knows that. Yeah, I mean. Smell me. <laughs> Jen, as you know, garlic has been on the on the hit parade for uh, 
for health for years. It's just they they make a pill and they make it sound French, so people buy it. I, I bought it, and I think they have odorless too, which is nice. Yeah, yeah not the big one. not in my world. <laughs> my world, it's a straight clove. That's why I'm still single. <laughs> no, well, you just got to find a girl who likes garlic, and that's how I made a friend, which led to hundreds of other friends. As a guy in the grocery <laughs> store saw me buying stuff, he said, "Oh, you're gonna smell like garlic," and I said, "Well, if everyone has garlic, then we're fine." So just make sure everyone has garlic. It's not a problem. That's true. If uh, everybody has it, then nobody has it, right? That's the rule. Exactly. Yeah. So that's it for the sad news. So that's it for the sad news. Let's move on to the the happier news, sort of. Uh, From the It Started to Happen Already department, NBC slash Universal signed a massive five-year deal with WWE for one billion, that's with a B, dollars. One billion dollars. Essentially shutting down and moving all the wrestling content from its WWE streaming service over to Peacock. Executives say <clears throat> WWE has always tapped into the cultural zygis of spectacular live events and larger than life characters. We are thrilled to be excited to be the exclusive home for WWE Network and its millions of fans across the country. We feel great about the financials. In other words, we wouldn't have done the deal. To have WrestleMania in particular, which is a Super Bowl of wrestling, available at no extra cost on Peacock is quite different from other models that you're seeing. Um, anyone who had the service will be uh, automatically moved over to the new site, but they're not sure how. Um, um, I'm always thrilled to be excited. <laughs> I'm glad the executives are. We, we talked about this before, about the whole streaming service and the cable and, and what's going to happen. And... Right, we talked about how all the everybody had their own streaming service because that was the cool thing to do, and now people are starting to merge streaming services, which is going to basically turn it back into another cable situation. This is exactly what we said was going to happen. This is exactly what's happening. Yep. Yeah. Well. Yeah, and it's now people can watch it on demand because I think the whole thing of tuning in six p.m. on Tuesdays, no one does that anymore. Cable's going out. I mean, the networks are struggling, but then the cable because of cable, and now the cable networks are struggling because of the streaming service. But then mm-hmm. everybody who has their own network is starting to have their own streaming service, so they're kind yeah. of feeding off of themselves, which is kind of like weird. And then the only thing that anybody's going to really care about are now live events. I think that's where we're going. You think people are going to care more about live events? Well, yeah, because if it's if everything is on demand. You see it whenever you want to see it, but then there's no... The best thing about a movie, going to a movie theater, is the experience, the shared experience. So mm, the only okay. thing that's left will be live events because that's the only time that you can get oh, that shared experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think mm. it's, it's, it's weird how this all started and this is where it's going. Yeah, it makes sense. People want ease. You know, we have the DVR that's going out. That was so cool, what, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? But people yeah. hassle the DVR. No one wants a DVR. People want things on demand it's, at any time. But it, it, it really destroys any type of business model because, as, as, you, as you may or may not know, the, the streaming services do not release the ratings. And that's where they get the advertisers. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, views, you could probably get view counts, maybe. Yeah, but they don't release, they don't release the number. They just say, oh, this is the most popular uh, show. They don't really say, oh, we've got these many uh, viewers. Yeah. Because, once again, because it's not a, um, uh, a shared experience, you can't really say 
how many people watch it at a certain time so you can't work on your marketing strategy. So if I'm, if I'm an advertiser and I say, you know, I'm going to yeah, give yeah. NBC, you know, $10 for this spot. And that way we know that many people are watching at that spot as opposed to I'm going to give $10 for this show. Maybe they can develop something like on Hulu, you know, like, okay, everyone watches this show on Hulu. Maybe they can get a view count somehow. I wonder they'll probably work that in. Maybe, but it's just yeah, weird how, can, how, we, how we got here. And it's, and it's starting to happen, and it's just going to become – there's going to be one more monopoly that's going to happen, and it's going to have one big giant streaming service, and it's going to be cable again, and then people are going to be complaining about the cost because that's the other thing. In the fitness the world, it's happening too. You're seeing – my client earlier today said that Apple TV now has a fitness broadcasting, and yesterday, coincidentally or not, I decided, you know what, I, I should probably do fitness online. I was very anti until like yesterday. <laughs> That's where mm-hmm. everything's going. You know, people don't want to go to gyms in person, and there's probably going to be a monopoly on workout streaming services too now. It's crazy. So mm-hmm. let's – yeah, Joe. Once, once it becomes a big monopoly, uh, we know who's going to buy it up. Mickey. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Disney, right? My, mm-hmm. my favorite mouse, Mickey. They'll be right there. Somebody's, somebody's going to make more money than us. Buy them quick. <laughs> Not my favorite mouse. Yeah, not mine either. Um, so moving on to, to, to speaking of Disney, uh, moving on to the comic world. Uh, Wait, the, here's something you didn't hear for a while, Mr. Segway. <laughs> from the Bring Back Real Legends department, husband and wife writer and artist team Luis and Walter Simonson have been hired by Marvel in X Men's Legends number three, due out in April. Uh, the issue is part of a new series which will reunite some of the X franchise's most notable writers and artists and will tell stories set during their time on the book, with these stories filling in gaps, tying up loose ends, and dangling pot lines. Uh, during their initial run on the X-Factor book, the dog <laughs> likes it, um, which focused on the original five X-Men characters, Walter and Louise were responsible for the creation of X-Factor as well in the villain Apocalypse, which was last seen in X-Men Part Six in 2016. Um, this is an interesting thing because... You know, in the world of reboots and remakes and everything, and then they're bringing back old stuff to, to today's uh, times. They're bringing back the original creators of the X-Men stuff back to make new books set back then because the comic books now aren't doing so well. So what do they do? They go back to the pool of when times was, was fine back then. It's weird how they, how they decide to do that. It's cool, but it's weird. Yeah. Mm. It's, uh, it's like when they... It's like when uh, Mr. Herman Shemson Urchin would say, you know, nobody has any good ideas anymore, so let's go back to the original. Yeah. Let's make, make a reboot. And it's, and it's Bring funny. Bring Bottoms back. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on from the I Still Have My Integrity department, actor Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg in a Justice League film, claims that he's been fired from the upcoming Flash movie. Ray says, <clears throat> I have received official confirmation that Warner Brothers Pictures has decided to remove me from the cast of The Flash. I strongly disagree with their decision, but this one is that is unsurprising. Despite the misconception, Cyborg's involvement in The Flash was much larger than a cameo. While I do mourn the loss of opportunity to bring Victor Stone back to the big screen, uh, bringing awareness to the actions of Walter Hamada will prove to be a much more important contribution to the world. 
For those of you who weren't paying attention at all, uh, this all started way back when Ray made some claims of misconduct against uh, director Josh Whedon, who stepped in to complete the Justice League movie after the original director, Zack Snyder, had stepped away from the project due to the death of his child. Uh, the complaints surfaced well after the film had been completed, and murmurs of the soon-to-be-released Snyder cut on the films uh, started to take hold. Ray then announced that the president of DC Films, Walter Hamada, purposefully attempted to undermine the Justice League investigation in order to protect his friend and former co-president, Jeff Johns. Uh, it then got to a point where Ray announced that he would refuse to work on any production that Walter was involved in, which leads him to getting fired off the Flash movie. That's, that's wild. Hmm. What was that, Mark? I wasn't listening to you. <laughs> I was listening and you lost me. Oh, no. Joss Whedon, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? So, so in short, the actor went through some uh, uh, misconduct during the, film during the filming of the movie. Yes, he didn't play well with others. Right. He made a complaint, and then, you know, the, because of how things are nowadays, as the dog, as the dog is uh, letting us know, Yes. Um, the, the investigations are being uh, treated more uh, intently and, they, you know, the, the Me Too's well, and, the, and the people of color and all the equality that's right. being taken seriously by Hollywood, in quotes, and they want to investigate it. And then the president of uh, DC Films kind of put the kibosh on it and tried to just blame other people. So Ray took offense to that, being a, a person of color, an actor, and he's like, I don't want to be in anything that that guy works on. And then... He obviously gets fired off of the next project that he's involved in because he has an integrity right. as opposed to the situations where we're always like, oh, why didn't they say something? You know, why wait 10 years, 15 years, however many years? He said it as soon as as soon as the movie was done. He went out and he said it. What what exactly happened to him? That's uh, Well, they said misconduct. And the thing is, is the misconduct hasn't been put forth yet. But well, other okay. actors have said that Josh Whedon did do some uh, did do some things. Uh, what was it? Aquaman said that um, he was he you know he was on set and he's like yeah there was some misconduct he he went out there and uh, Gal Gadot who plays Wonder Woman said that she was a victim of of some of his in inappropriate actions towards uh, racial and uh, genders and she said that she put him in his place and that was the end of it. Hmm. I don't know. We need we need specifics here. I I wouldn't uh, mess with Gal Gadot. She was uh, in the, in the army. army, hand to hand combat. I would not mess with her. But I but mm -hmm. I like the fact that that he that he stuck to his guns. You know, like I said, a lot of people would wait. So obviously his contract must have been up because of all the moving around of, with the company. But I thought that was kind of cool that he stood up for for what he believed in, despite the fact that he would lose out on a big payday for the the Flash movie and any other Justice League or DC stuff. He's out right now. So I kind of like that. I appreciate that. As opposed to um, uh, John Boyega, who was in the, 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 the Star Wars movies, he did his three movies and then he started to complain. You know, he didn't complain after the first yeah. movie. He waited because obviously he was on the contract. So I, I like well, that. Did, didn't they do that with the Transformers, uh, Megan Fox or something? Yeah, Megan Fox, uh, she actually, well, now the, 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 the wave is going back because at first they're like, oh, you know, she doesn't know what she's talking about because she, right. she did say some things that were, were taken as uh, controversial at the time. But apparently right. now they were, she, was, she had a legitimate complaint about being treated as a sexual object, as um, being put in, in harm's way during the filmmaking process. And she yeah. said that, uh, but she did appreciate that she got the, the role. And she spoke out about it, but everybody's like, you know, shut up and be pretty. But now they're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have said that. So, yeah, yes, it's, it's kind of the same that's, thing. 
that's uh, not anything to say anyway. Shut up and be pretty. I mean, that alone. But but at the time, mm-hmm. that's how it was. And now yeah. we are in, in a more, I guess, uh, culturally sensitive uh, area, which is where people should have been saying that. They should have supported her back then, but they didn't. And now they're saying, well, oh, maybe we should have supported you back then. I did. You did. I did. And my dog did, too. Good job, Tali. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. All right, so let's well, see. you don't want to put anyone in harm's way, but the whole shut up and be pretty, if your job is to be pretty, then just be, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, the thing was that her job might have been to be pretty, but she still had opinions on, on her job. It, 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 at yeah, the end of the day, it is a job. You know, yeah. you are getting paid to do a certain thing. But and if you're, paid, but you're paid to be an actor, not, um, not be put in harm's way. No, right. that part is a problem. Or, or, you or, don't want to be in harm's way. But I mean, if you yeah. signed up to be the sex object, right? And you can be right. treated, but you don't have to be treated that way on the set. You know, it's one thing to be performing and it's another thing to be treated that way. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah it's a fine line. Right. It's hard. So, yeah. she, yeah. so she was being outspoken about the conditions on the set and saying certain things and people at the time were like oh we don't want to hear from you you know you don't know what you're talking about right that was that was the point so so the same thing for for people of color or people who are being marginalized they felt that they were being mistreated with either jokes or or things that were unprofessional on the set right right yeah i I, I just like to work in specifics it's hard for me to have it's right we don't i don't know exactly but I just like the fact that he spoke up. Uh, that's that's my point. He spoke up. Uh, I like that. Whether there's specifics or not, he felt the need to speak up about it. And he didn't take the cash payout to be quiet. He stood up. And then we have to wait to see what happens. So moving on wow. to last bit of news, speaking of the DC films. From the all kinds of contracts must be over department. In a recent interview, Zack Snyder has revealed the quote unquote real reason that he left working on the Justice League. <clears throat> wow, okay. On the Justice League film during his production. <clears throat> Jack, Z- Jack? Zach says, I was kind of done with it. I was in this place of knowing my family needs me more than this BS. I just need to honor them and to do what's best I can do to heal that world. I had no energy to fight the studios and to fight for the movie. Literally zero energy for that. I really think that's the main thing. I think there's a different world where I stayed and I kind of tried, and I'm sure I could have because every movie is a fight, right? I was used to that, but I just did not have the energy, and there was no fight in me. I had been beaten by what was going on in my life, and I just didn't want to. I just didn't care. That was kind of where I was. For those of you who didn't know or really care, as we just mentioned, for that matter, um, at the time, it was announced that Zach had left solely due to the death of his daughter and had nothing to do with the situation surrounding the company's concerns about the direction of the DCU after the quote-unquote disappointing performance of the Batman versus Superman film. So what it is, is that DC wanted to be Marvel. They wanted to be Disney. They wanted to make Disney money, but they didn't want to um, put in the 10 years of work that, the DC, that Marvel did. So DC said, we were, we're just going to throw money at this and let's make this movie. And Zack Snyder had a vision. It was a more darker tone as opposed to the Marvel movies. So the movie came out, Batman vs. Superman. It, didn't, it underperformed. They spent, I think, $750 million on that movie. And it didn't make anywhere near what, I was, uh, what they had expected. And as you guys may know, when you make a movie, you make it in advance. So while the movie was coming out for this one, they were already filming the Justice League movie. And the studio 
put pressure on Zach to change it. But at the same time, his daughter died. And I guess because he couldn't do both at the same time, he's like, I'm out. Yeah. Well, we all have limited energy. We all have so many, so much we can put forth. So you got to respect your limits. I think it's kind of interesting how um, he, he did step back, but the way he puts it now, as opposed to back then, was that there was more studio pressure, more more things that were going on as opposed to just the death of his daughter. So he said that he would have stayed, but there was no energy, no fight left in him because of what was happening. And so, you know, that, that kind of that kind of, uh, that kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, death gets us down, definitely. That was the last client I talked to before you guys. Death can really um, uh, drag us down and make everything else so much harder. Um, that's a, that's a, a tough hand to be dealt with when, um, you know, when your child uh, dies. Yeah, and it's, it's sad that the, the studio was giving him so much pressure, whereas in, in, more, more, in other circumstances they would yeah. be more understanding and more considerate. But in this case, they're like, nah. And they, and they, yeah. and they kind of just nudged him out, which in turn led to, to Josh Whedon coming in, which in turn led to all this stuff happening with Ray Fisher and all the other uh, stuff that's been happening on well, the DC world. And then, which led to the fans saying that the movie was almost finished and we want to see our own version, which then led to the Justice League movie, a Zack Snyder version, which is coming out on HBO Max, which is a streaming service. So it's a whole big mess of, of a chain reaction of events. Well, great summarization. I actually followed that. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. I tried yes. my best. It's what I always say, karma. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really weird how that uh, how all that is. So that's it for the news. Um, Wait a minute, Mark. Yeah. I am going I am going to throw a wrench into the works here. Yes. Maybe this. Senior correspondent, Carlos Saladino, that's probably going to mention something that I know he's going to mention, but I'm going to wait for next week. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you could wait till next week. I'm not going to mention that. I'm going to mention, uh, did you hear... The thing going on with my favorite company, Disney. No. Tell us. Tell us from the desk of a senior correspondent, Charlie Saladino, in I'm less than five minutes. To, <laughs> I'm just going to just say they are pulling uh, a couple of their movies off the younger Disney channels. And it's from what I was saying for years. But uh, we'll go into that when the official word comes out okay so i don't know anything about that so this is your chance yeah. to say because i thought you were going to talk about the other thing but yeah, go ahead so what, when, what do you got when you, you no, got, when you you got three it. minutes <laughs> no 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 i'm not not going to waste our time when you get it we'll talk about it further oh so that's was that like a tease of the of the future yes, that's news? like a tease that's like a tease yes. all right fair <laughs> enough fair enough so uh jen you have any final thoughts before we uh take a break take care of your health and do whatever you can in these limiting times that will uh, end. Charlie, you have a uh, final thought for, before we take our break? Yes. Uh, be nice to everybody. Erase the hate. And uh, also a big shout out to our favorite people, the Bitten Apple and um, Shadow Rabbit for a, a great job with his sculptures and uh, the Bitten Apple for a uh, great job commissioning and interviewing. A second, yeah, awesome a, a second, a second shout out. So, so yes, yeah, so we'll we'll give him a second yeah. shout out before we take a break. Uh, make sure you go to uh, Shadow Rabbit Clay Guy Art. 
Um, you can check out. He made a sculpture of myself and uh, and Charlie, and that's really cool. And there's a video cool. on a, on a, on, a, on the Facebook page as well. So that's it uh, for the news. We're going to take our break, and we'll be right back with a game from the radio. Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. New comics are back at Cosmic Comics and Games of Baldwin. Get ready for the next DC Comics event. Future State! Cosmic Comics and Games is open Wednesday from noon to 7, Thursday from 2 to 7, Friday from 3 to 7, and Saturday from noon to 5. So if you want the latest Marvel, DC, Image, or Independent Comics, back issues, comic book supplies, or magic cards, please call Chuck at 516-763-1133 for all the details. That's Cosmic Comics and Games of Baldwin. Thank you and stay safe. This is the amazing Kreskin, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Now, back to our show. Hi, everyone. This is Pronto Comics' own Dominic Sperano, and it is once again time for... My comic book pick of the week. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. So the Sandman has been in the news today, and in honor of that, I'm going to be doing a one-two double punch of Neil Gaiman, with part one being this week's pick of the week and part two being next week's pick of the week, uh, all related to Neil Gaiman's work on Sandman and Lucifer. Uh, today, I'm going to be my pick of the week is going to be Sandman: Endless Nights. Now, I know a couple months ago I had already given you the pick of the week of the entire Sandman series. Um, however, this is sort of a standalone book. It's kind of like an epilogue to the series itself. The series ran from like 1989 to 1996, I want to say, roughly speaking. Um, Endless Nights didn't come out till 2003. I guess Neil had a, a thought that came to him and he wanted to make a new comic about it. Anyway, as always, let me go to Wikipedia and tell you what it says. The Sandman, Endless Nights, is a graphic novel written by Neil Gaiman as a follow-up to his Sandman series. The book is divided into seven chapters, each devoted to one of the Endless, a family of brothers and sisters who are physical manifestations of the metaphysical concepts of dream, death, desire, destruction, delirium, despair, and destiny. It was published by DC Comics in 2003. It won the Bram Stoker Stoker award for best illustrated narrative it is also the first comic book to ever be on the new york times bestseller list each tale is stylistically different and illustrated by a different artist so it's almost like a anthology piece in a certain way most of the tales are independent of each other however destruction's tale relates to and immediately follows deliriums Destruction and Delirium's tales are the only ones that take place after the events of the Sandman series. In line with all the other Sandman comics, the cover, logo, and book designs were created by Dave McKeon. Endless Nights was preceded by The Wake, which is the last book in the ten-book series of the Sandman. Um, it's a really good book, as most of, if not all, Neil Gaiman's work. 
um, you can find it pretty easily uh, just by once again googling Sandman Endless Nights uh, really quickly here you can get it on Amazon um, Goodreads DCComics.com pretty much anywhere uh, my opinion, by the way, if you really want to buy this book, go down to your local comic book store if you can and if they're open and just purchase it from them in person and give some support to local businesses because Lord knows we they could all use it right now. Anyway, um, if you want to know more about The Sandman, you can go look back into the archives and find it uh, on itcamefromtheradio.com where you can get uh, my full review of the entire series. I promise you, you're going to love it. And I'm really looking forward to the Netflix series coming out. And the casting, which came out today as of this recording, looks phenomenal. phenomenal. So read the entire series, and then after you read the entire series, go back and read Sandman Endless Nights because it's a wonderful epilogue on everything that Neil had done. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's pick. Please remember you can go and check out my own personal webcomic at fishysarcasm.com. You can become a Patreon of the comic. It's only $1 a month. It's the least expensive Patreon out there. I promise you that. Also, please go and check out prontocomics.com. We have plenty of comics for download. And always remember... Logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So be safe and be healthy. Take care. Hello, radio listeners. What are you thinking? We want to hear from you. What's working for you? What things would you like to hear more about? Write us your thoughts. Or you can buy us a pizza. Just go to our website, www.itcamefromradio.com, and click on the Buy Us a Pizza link. Leave your comment there. And we'll read them on video. Now, back to our show. And welcome back to It Came From the Radio, the official of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. With me, I have a super cool guest. It is a filmmaker, writer, producer, director, actor. Do you sing? No, I don't sing. Definitely mm-hmm. not. Non-singer, Aaron Chunky. Say hi, Aaron. Hey, what's going on, guys? So, Aaron, um, I have been following you for quite some time. Um, you did the Superpower Beatdown is where I first heard of you, but I know that Bat in the Sun goes beyond that. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what Bat in the Sun means and where did, they, where did you start off at? Oh, gosh. Bat in the Sun's been around for a long time now, probably um, about 12 years. Uh, we actually started doing uh, short films back in the day, back all the way in the early 2000s, right around before YouTube even was a thing. Uh, and then we just started putting a lot of uh, content online that we created uh, because we wanted to just make cool uh, content and it took off, built a fan base. And then a lot of the big studios uh, started reaching out to us, uh, DC, Saban, Valiant, uh, to uh, to make content for them. And, and here we are now, 10 years later with, uh, you know, almost uh, or over half a billion views and um, a lot of cool got over like 50 videos so it's been a, a great ride and we have a lot of great uh, projects coming up so when you were young aaron is that what you yeah. wanted to do you wanted to be to break into the film industry and you figured that this was the best way yeah i mean there is no real set way you know if you want to be like a doctor or a lawyer you got to go to college and so forth but um there is no real set way uh in hollywood the, the main thing is especially as an artist you just want to create 
awesome content that, um, you know, is that's your vision that makes you happy. And then we put it out there. And the great thing is that the internet kind of really started to become a thing uh, when I started making movies. Like I said, this was a little pre, uh, pre YouTube. So you could, uh, it was kind of hard to put, you know, videos online because I didn't really have the bandwidth and you had to buy the bandwidth and struggle with all that. And then YouTube came out and we put the content out there and people really liked it, you know, and that was never really, uh, the intention to grow a, a big fan base. People always ask me, how did you get a big fan base? And and sometimes I, I reply, I don't know. I just made content that, you know, I was really happy with that I put a lot of time and effort into. And, and now, you know, it really resonated with people and, and people uh, gravitated towards us. And now we have this big fan base and people who love all our stuff, which is great because that's kind of, kind of was the whole point, you know, was to make everyone happy with what we created. As a filmmaker, one of the things that I've noticed uh, a lot of in um, many interviews that we've had is that there's is a point where you have to let it go because most filmmakers that I know are very perfectionist and you have to keep on editing and tweaking and working it out. So at what point do you decide, all right, it's done, let's get it out there, let's move on to the next project? That is tricky. Um, yes, as a perfectionist, you want to just keep you know belaboring over certain points. And right now we're working on a, a film, Dying is Easy, that we – uh, raised, uh, we did on a, a crowdfunding on Indiegogo, where we matched the money that we raised for it. So uh, we've been really making sure that it's just perfect. Because once it's done, you know, and it goes out, and it kind of like it lives like that forever. So you want to make sure that it's uh, perfect. The great thing is about when you're um, working for yourself versus working for another company. Like when we worked with Valiant or Saban, they obviously, you know, they they have all their thoughts and opinions which aren't wrong but it's basically they they have deadlines that they can't push and they have um opinions that you you know you have to work with so you you can't be as a perfectionist according to yourself as you want because they're trying to be a perfectionist as well so you can't um you can't be as uh you know methodical as you can on your own projects which is kind of wonderful doing your own projects because it, it gives you that time so it just depends uh, if you're working for yourself you can be if you're part of a big collective team you so much can't be and then they just then it goes out and you see that a lot of times in big movies you know i, I know um there's been issues with certain movies where they had to just rush it to just get it out and you look at certain effects and you're like why does that not look good or why did that story or why did that scene not make any sense and it's like because they couldn't meet their deadline they just had to go 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 so so with that in mind, does that make you a higher critic of your own work? Yeah, I'm super critical. It's kind of funny is that um, I'm a real critical person, but the person that I am by far and away the most critical of is uh, myself and my work. Whenever I uh, have people watch my stuff, the first thing I ask is, what didn't you like? You know, like that, that will serve me better than you telling me what I... Uh, what what you liked you know i want to know how we can improve and make it better that's always my big my big thing you know even when i'm acting on set and uh you know uh, my father's directing or we have first ad or whoever there, i'll be like what didn't you like what didn't work you know because obviously what worked we already got that i don't need you to i don't need you to high five me on that we need to be you know 100 percent wow cool um you mentioned crowdfunding before um do you find that as, as the time has changed over the 10 years you've been doing this, that crowdfunding is now a crucial part to the independent filmmaking world? I think it is only because it's kind of been that way for us. Uh, YouTube and a lot of advertising doesn't pay quite what it used to. Um, we never really make any money off any of our stuff. We just put it right back into what we do. Um, and what we do is 
creating these videos is very expensive. People, I, I think, sometimes don't understand, you know, how expensive they are. And the way I break it down is if you look at, let's say, like, you know, uh, one of the CW shows like The Flash, for example, that's 42 minutes of content. And each one of their episodes costs anywhere between, you know, three to four million dollars. And, um, you know, we're making like beatdowns or like six minutes. So just, you know, divide six minutes into 42 minutes, uh, which is seven. And then uh, and then, then take that same thing and divide that into the three to four million dollar budget. And that's realistically what one of our episodes should cost. But we actually cost a little less, but we still come in pretty high. You know, I know a lot of people I'm jealous of the people that can make um, like tutorials of anything and you know get way more views than us and, and generate more revenue um with su such a little um uh time and money spent into it not to say that the value isn't any less um it's probably more because they're teaching you how to do things in everyday life but uh we just we just want to make sure we have enough money to make sure the content is great that we put out you know so it does cost a lot and uh, uh, the uh, crowdfunding has really allowed us to do that we on uh, our Dying is Easy project, uh, we raised, uh, I think, 60 grand, uh, which is still open, but we raised 60 grand and then we matched that for the film. And then for uh, White Dragon, which we're doing with uh, Jason David Frank, uh, we raised over half a million dollars on there, which is going to allow us to make a feature. Although, what some people don't understand is people will see that number and, oh, you raised half a million dollars. And I was like, but at the same time, we want to make sure that the rewards are really good for the fans because sometimes Kickstarters, they kind of have stingy rewards and that's only because they want to make sure most of the money goes into the film, which is not bad. But at the same time, I want to make sure that the fans who is that's who we do it for are satisfied with all the rewards. So um, out of that half a million, like, you know, 200,000 goes to the rewards and Kickstarters fees and stuff like that. So it all, it all comes down to how we can make, you know, this money work for what we needed to do. And it's not like we're creating, you know, kind of like a, um, you know, a, a love story or a simple story uh, with a one location where, you know, these are high, you know, high end action uh, fight sequences, a lot of effects. So we got to really be aware of how to stretch it. And that's why I always say that, or when people ask, you know, if you make any money off any of this, I go, that's, that would almost be darn near impossible because we have to literally put every penny into the budget, you know, and everyone here, who all work in the industry who have, you know, you've seen their work in, um, you know, Daredevil and Spider-Man and all the big movies, but they just are big fans of the stuff. So they just, you know, donate their time. So what's interesting is that they put it together. You guys continue to make quality stuff and consistent on a consistent basis. And I think that's one of the most important things to mention that it is quality all the way through. And it consistently gets better in my opinion. Um, you mentioned cost. Is that something that you put in your mind when you're writing the script down? Like, okay, well, this scene is going to cost this much. This is going to cost this much. Or you just write it and then you figure it out later and hope for the best. Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I, you know, I think we're, we really understand um, and have been doing this long enough to know how to execute and, and do what we're doing. But um, at the same time, you know, you can't, you can't write above your means. Um, I, I mean, I think you always should, keep that in mind with any, any part of your life, whether you're being creative or just in your own every, you know, everyday life. But uh, if you, if you overwrite, then it's going to show where you can't execute and the scene will look cheap or won't look as good. You know, like it's like, you could probably do like a street fight where it looks really real, but then like, now we want to do this crazy aerial battle with 10 spaceships and whatever, and it'll just look cheap and people, you know, that people don't want to watch that, you know, bigger isn't always better if the quality isn't there. Hmm. 
All right, so we are almost out of time. So let's hit the um, the social media stuff. Where can people find you? Where can people find out more about the two projects you said that are ongoing right now? Where can people find out about that? I mean, the best way to keep up on us is just, yeah, is hitting all the social media. That's uh, youtube.com slash bat in the sun and instagram.com slash bat in the sun. You can find us all on there. Same thing with Facebook. Everything is under our uh, company name, which is bat in the sun. And then, of course, uh, on Kickstarter, we have white dragon and, um, and uh, Indiegogo, which is Batman Dying is easy. You can see those are our two big projects that we're working on now. Uh, among a few other things, we have a, a like a kid's book and um, some other series that we're, we're taking to the screen. But um, those are first and foremost up to bat. So I want to know when you're making a project and a lot of these things, especially with the superpower beatdown, they are fan centric. They are, are mostly about fans and mostly about who would win um, in a fight between two different genres. Is that something that you also thought about when you were starting out? Like, I want to do um, this kind of stuff to gain um, attention from the big companies. Or are you just like, I'm just a fan of this and I just want to put it out and see what I think what would happen. Um, I mean, like I said, uh, we've kind of we already kind of worked with a lot of the studios beforehand um and you know like i did all the motion capture for spider-man in the uh, previous video games and work on a couple different tv shows and um but the, but the main thing though was that you know we love these characters and we wanted to just kind of put something cool together and it as a result or indirectly kind of got a lot of studios attention um the reason why we make it fan voting is because we want to include the fans and because since these characters are not real there's no real definitive answer as to who would win i think it's funny like the debates are cool but they're they're always you know um you know you're guessing you're you know who would really win it's not like real life where you can compare you know athletes you know and you say oh who's who's better tom brady or joe montana obviously tom brady he's got the stats you know it's so it's like you can't really argue that but here you know, Superman restore. I mean, they could go either different way. I mean, based upon what comic books and what continuity and they've been rebooted and revamped a thousand times and there's no real wrong answer. So I think it's best to put it in the fans, you know, hands because that's where the characters really live. Um, and as a fan and having read, gosh, almost, almost everything, um, you know, it's hard to really discern, but that's why it's such a fun debate because you can go round and round and round. One of my favorite uh, comic book writers is Peter David, and he, he was at a convention and someone asked him who would win in a fight between such and such and somebody else. And he had the best answer. And I always like this. He says, it depends on the writer. So if yeah, you have a, a good enough writer, you can pretty much figure it out. Then that's that's a thousand percent the truth. And and that's why. And it's also up to, you know, what, what the studio wants for the fans. And, you know, um, so there is no real defense. I mean, there's that's the great thing about fictional characters is that their abilities are unlimited. You know, Batman is now able to beat dark side because he's got red suns trapped in his gauntlets, you know, or whatever, which is, you know, it's, that's, that's one version of Batman. I personally prefer, you know, Batman being just working with, you know, detective clues in a dark alleyway, you know, because some, um, you know, prostitute was murdered because Scarecrow is trafficking, you know, fear toxins or whatever. You know, I like that Batman. But that Batman in a fight against Superman would, you know, get knocked around because he lives in a more real world. But that's the cool thing is there's so many different interpretations of these characters, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we have less than a minute to go. So do you have any final thoughts for us? No, just, uh, you know, always, we're always open. I love debating with the fans and uh, 
love hearing from them and because I'm a you know a fan as well and we always always try to engage our social media to have uh you know to get fans feedback and always asking them different things and let them know what we're doing and um we're always so busy we kind of sometimes don't get back as quickly as we should but we always check up on it and read it and and are just very thankful uh to the fans for all that they've um given us and been a part of this journey Right, so my final thought. Actually, I have one quick question before I have my final thought. Um, has the pandemic affected you either positively or negatively for filmmaking? I mean, does it give you more time to like be more creative on the inside or not? Um, uh, yes and no. I mean, we we shot Dying Is Easy during the pandemic, which it ended up costing a little more just because you know you need to have COVID uh, prevention on there, which is of course totally something you should have on there. Um, so that it's just what it is, but, uh, we're just blessed that we were able to, to do that and shoot the project and get it done. Um, well, white dragon has been pushed back like a couple months because of just shooting because that's a bigger project, which, um, makes it a little more intricate. So that, that project, uh, has been pushed back, but that's given us more time in pre-production to just refine it and make it better. So there's always having more time when it comes to creative projects is always a blessing. Um, you know, it's not like we're just, standing around doing nothing. So it's always given us more time to work on different things. Uh, the main thing is, is just you know, to make sure everyone stays safe. You know, like I said, when we shot Dying is Easy, we had a crew of almost 100 people over the course of the six days that we shot it and no one got sick. So that was a huge uh, victory in itself. Awesome. Um, but uh, it, it, I mean, it's affected us for sure, but not, but we've gotten through it. And obviously there are so many people that are going through so many worse things that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to voice my opinion on, you know, little things here and there comparatively to what other people are going through, you know? All right, fair enough. So my final thought is this. Um, I've been following you, you for a long time. I've been trying to get this interview for many years. I really appreciate the time. Much continued success. And when the uh, White Dragon comes out, um, come back and you can promote that again. Cool. Great. I look forward to it. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And with that, we're going to take our break. We'll be right back with it came from the radio. Hey, guys, this is Christy from Custom Cakes by Christy. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm keeping my private kitchen open for any needs your family may have. I've been focusing on bread, soups, muffins, quiches, and other basics, but I'm still accepting dessert orders as well. Please follow my Facebook for immediate pickup items. Private message me for custom orders. Custom Cakes by Christy, I-N-C, K-R-I-S-T-Y. Text me at 631-606-8166. Now, back to our show. Hey, this is Jay Britton Lee, and we're here to talk about... <laughs> what are you laughing so much for today? Because we just talked about a little bit of what you're watching? Yeah. Uh, well, Watch it. Okay, well, I'll start with the intro. <laughs> hey, this is Jay Britton Lee, and we're here to talk about movies, music, TV, and what's going on in our part of the world. <laughs> oh, somebody seems embarrassed already. Stop. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is what we're talking about, the raw, uncut version. So here we uh, go. Um, so, what was it, a couple of weeks back, we had talked about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? That was a while ago, I feel like. Well, it was a while ago to you, I guess, but a couple of weeks to uh, the audience, probably. Yeah. But, uh, right, so now we like that Jack Nicholson film, mm -hmm. you liked it a lot, you didn't read yeah. the book, like I suggested yet. Ha ha ha. You should still read the book. Maybe. We'll see a, what happens. Look, there was Academy Awards involved in the movie. The book had to be even better than what the book, what the movie was like. Mm, okay. Oh yeah. Maybe all right. I'll watch it. Oh come on. So anyway, somebody started watching something on new Netflix, right? Ratchet. 
Ratchet, right? Nurse Ratchet? Yeah. Without my permission, of course. Ha-ha. Oh, man. This is what happens when you give a teenager <laughs> access to Netflix. She watches whatever's there. All right. But you know I can see what you're watching, right? Yeah. Okay. It comes up on it comes up on the continue watching page. Yes, exactly. So, uh, all right. <laughs> oh, man. Don't get all giggly on us. Um, so, what do you think so far? Um, it's pretty good. They're... Um, Spoiler alert ahead warning. Uh, they're starting to do lobotomies. I'm on the second episode. Is that really a spoiler alert? The lobotomies? Or is it just kind of like a I thing mean, that they did? The thing that they did. Like, it's the... They're just showing everyone. The main doctor is showing, like, how to do one. So they actually show how to do a lobotomy on this? Uh, not like the... Bl- yeah, they do. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I think everybody should let me know if I should let her watch the show or not. That's I have not started it. I didn't even know. I'm watching it. <laughs> oh, get out of here. Don't worry, I skipped through some of it just to... Because I get the gist of it. <laughs> so how, why are you even watching the show then? <laughs> I'm going to skip through this part. I mean, is it fun? Is it like scary parts? Boring parts? Like what do you Boring sk- parts. So you're like, okay, I don't like this dialogue. I'm just going to skip right yeah. through it. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. All right. Okay. That's- hey, you don't... Sometimes you get the gist of what's happening in an episode without watching the whole entire episode. So you really just want the recap of the episodes. That's probably how you should watch TV now. Hmm. Right? You should just look at the recaps and call it a day? Like, I probably could have skipped through uh, Cobra Kai. What do you mean, skip through Cobra Kai? What are you talking about? We're watching all that right now. Yeah, I know. If if I was watching it on my own, I probably would have skipped through some of it and just been like, okay. Dude, we're in season three, episode seven already. Why would you skip it? Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. You don't think it's that funny or whatever? I mean, okay. not funny. It's not funny movie. It's not a funny <laughs> show. <laughs> that show's good. Well, you know what it is? You're not part of the 80s. And I think it's just one of those things where, you know. Yeah. It's nostalgic, right? For people like me and your mom. Because you grew up with it. Right, your uncle. And we're invested in Ralph Macchio and the bad guy, Johnny. I'm not. (laughs) Okay, well, you know what? That guy, William Zabka, who is the Johnny, is in every 80s bad guy, is every 80s bad guy in comedies and stuff like that. Oh, wow. He's in a ton of stuff. So, you know, and I think that's the whole thing for us. The show is so good, you know. But wait a minute. We just got off the tangent. I don't know I don't know how you're watching Nurse Ratchet. I'm going to have to see some of these episodes. But if you're fast-forwarding, what's the point? Uh, to get the gist. To get the gist. <laughs> yeah. Why watch the show? You're wasting your time. No. It's a good show? Yeah. So you're going to recommend people to watch it but skip the boring parts? Yeah. All right. We're only in episode two? Yeah. Because uh, it's like an hour an episode. It's a little bit long. But I mean, I guess for TV lovers and Ratchet lovers, then... Ratchet lovers is kind of funny, actually. All right. So anyway, I guess uh, Nurse Ratchet, watch it if you want to fast forward the good parts or the boring parts. All right. Bo- boring parts, in my opinion. Okay. All right. Okay. Anyway, And watch Cobra Kai. But anyway... Um, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay connected. See you next time. Hey everybody, this is Todd McFarlane of the Record Setting Spawn comic series. And if you're looking for any kind of cool conversation about creators, 
about entertainment, about all that good stuff you go to. It came from the radio. You're listening to the right spot. The Comic Book Depot has been in business since 1993. Your one-stop comic book shop for comics, gaming, and collectibles. The Comic Book Depot Club membership is $15 and gets you 15% off new comics, back issues, graphic novels, and 10% off comic book supplies. Located at 2847 Jerusalem Avenue in Wontaw, New York. Contact us on Facebook for curbside pickup because new comics are back. For more information, give Alan a call at 516-221-9337. The Comic Book Depot. Now, back to our show. So that about does it for this week on the Came From the Radio. Join us right here any week on this radio station. If you miss any part of the show, tough. go to our website, www.camefromtheradio.com. Listen to archives we up in a week or so. Check us out on such places such as btdradio.com or our social media pages such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And always follow the cost-benefit ratio. If the benefits outweigh the costs, do it. If the costs outweigh the benefits, don't do it. Or just Google It Came From The Radio. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.